So that first panel was a really great kickoff to the day, and it's a really good segue uh, into our next discussion. Uh, so my name is Sarah Bray, and I'm delighted to be here with you all today, generally speaking, and also um, moderating this panel on negotiating and advocating. Um, little audience participation. How many of you here are uncomfortable with the idea of negotiating? It's a lot of hands. If you're anything like me, it's perhaps because you see it as a conflict. And I love to avoid conflict when I have that choice. In fact, women on the whole tend to be pleasers. We've talked a lot about that this morning already. We're socialized differently from day one. And we all know those feelings of, thanks, that must be what I deserve. I'm trying not to be perceived as too pushy. And a feeling so personally connected to something that we don't want to stir the pot too much. Yeah. And it doesn't help that research shows that women really are perceived as being too demanding and not nice when negotiating on a single issue. But let's remember this as well. We're negotiating almost every single day. How many of you have children? Then you know what hardcore negotiators kids are. <laughs> I have a goddaughter. Uh, same thing holds true in all of our relationships with partners, friends, colleagues, clients, there, however, we don't think about things as a zero-sum game, but instead as working toward the same goal. Giving a little here, taking a little there. In all cases, it's about knowing what the line is. Think about this. Women are negotiating at a rate of 55%, while men are negotiating at a rate of 70% of the time. That means that two colleagues, one male, one female, starting at the same level and the same job, negotiating at that same rate, Really sorry. Negotiate at that same rate with every job will see dramatic differences in their wages at the end of 30 years. It's a little more complicated when you factor in that we all work in a field that can be both physically and socially demanding, often without a clear ladder to climb. But we also have an advantage. We're in an industry, a community really, that we love, and women are nothing if not community builders. And that same research shows that women are more effective in negotiations when we think about how do our skills benefit the overall workplace, when we think about how what we're asking for makes our boss, partner, and organization better. We're gonna talk through some personal stories here today, looking at some very real scenarios that our panelists have experienced, and talking through ways that they have and are having to address issues. We will also talk through some ideas that have percolated in our pre-discussions, ideas about how to change our perceptions of negotiating, and how we can better advocate both for ourselves and for others around us. If we start to think about things a little differently, we may just be able to change our behavior. So with that, I have the pleasure of introducing you to Megan Glab, the winemaker at Rhyme, Uphold, and Lost and Found. Wave your hand. R.H. Drexel, the founder of Lone Baby. Suzanne. Thanks, Mom. <laughs> Mom's. Uh, Suzanne Russell, Managing Director in Silicon Valley Bank's Wine Division. And I pray I say it right. Nadia Dimitru, Founder of Flores and Selections. So let's dive in. Uh, and we're going to start uh, with Megan Glaub. 
<laughs> Hi, everybody. It's um, such an honor to be here, and just I'm so glad this conversation is happening. Um, so for those of you who do not know me, um, I am uh, the co-owner and uh, co-winemaker of Rhyme Cellars with my husband, uh, Ryan Glab. And <clears throat> we both started out in this business at the same time. We graduated roughly at the same time, started getting internships roughly at the same time. And right from the beginning, it was just really apparent um, that I was at a disadvantage. Um, I'm gonna get up, you're gonna look at me. And then I'm gonna ask my strapping husband to stand up. <laughs> Come on, Ryan. <laughs> you may have been seeing him carry large ice chests. Right? Well, if you look at um, requests for interns, one of the um, things that they state is you must be able to carry 25 pounds, 50 pounds. So if I walk into an interview and he walks into an interview without saying a word, without talking about our experiences, right away, it's against me. And <clears throat> our, first, um, our first round of really interviewing for internships I agonized, absolutely agonized. What should I wear? Um, if I came in dressed too well, I may seem too precious that I couldn't um, do the job, that I wasn't physically up for the job. Um, and if, at the same time, I didn't want to be unprofessional. So right away, just Ryan's physical appearance and presence just put him at a huge advantage. Um, so during our first stints and internships, I found, um, you know, as we discussed our roles and what we were doing in our, our jobs, that Ryan was very quickly um, given the reins to um, running and operating equipment. I find often that women interns are not allowed to run the press. Um, they are not put on the forklift. And I really had to advocate and push for that. And I didn't take no for an answer. I insisted on learning how to run the press. I insisted on being on the forklift. Um, during uh, my first internship here in California, um, I was working at a very small producer. Um, it was myself and a, uh, a male colleague who has become a very dear friend. And on uh, our first day of processing, uh, after a very long day and going into the night, our boss um, walked up to my male coworker and handed him the keys to a truck. And it was very crucial that the end of every night that we did this trailer run um, and dump the pumice. And inst instead of asking who can pull a trailer, who can drive a uh, manual stick shift, it was assumed that there was no way that I could do this. And <clears throat> I watched as my, um, my male coworker struggled to get the trailer down a very long driveway. And little did my boss or my coworker know, I had been pulling trailers since I was 16. And so I, I waited um, patiently and then said, you know, do, do you want me to do it? Do you want me to give it a try? And I got it out on the first row. Now, <laughs> I think this is actually one of the reasons why I was offered a full-time position at the end of this. But what if I was working with a male coworker who wasn't man enough to say, yeah, the trailer dump went really well. I, I learned that I just hand the keys to Megan. Um, we need support from our male counterpoints. Um, 
And then if, if he had been able to get it out, he would have been handed those keys every single night and I wouldn't have been given that opportunity. Um, despite what we look at like, size, gender, race, we really need to be open to um, giving opportunity to everybody. Um, you know, I really um, suggest to anybody, any female who's trying to get into uh, the wine industry, do not allow yourself to be just stuck in the roles that are not physical. Um, don't just go into the lab, work for small producers where you can do everything and insist on running all of those pieces of equipment that we know is fundamental and crucial to winemaking. Thank you, Megan. So I think that is a great point, those expectations of uh, female behaviors. Um, so I'd like to invite RH to speak a little bit about whether there are particular female behaviors or expectations thereof um, that you've experienced that you think make it difficult to advocate and negotiate, and conversely, are there any that can be used in a, in a woman's favor? Okay, great. Everybody hear me okay? Yes. Okay. I also commend uh, the men that are in attendance today, all three of you. Right on. <laughs> um, a couple of things. Uh, one is that when I go into negotiations for, um, for with clients, I, I consult and I also am a writer. Uh, I oftentimes come under the competition. Um, I lowball myself, and that's because I'd like to be liked, and I like to overperform, and I like to be accepted and praised for overperforming for lower money. Um, <laughs> I'm getting a little bit better at um, trying to ask for what I'm worth, but uh, that really held me back. And I think it's because I'm not quite sure what it is. It's probably a, a combination of elements, but um, I'm, I'm actually worried that I'm going to offend some of these people I sit down with if I ask for what I think I'm worth. Um, so just something to noodle on, I think. Um, one thing that I've, that really helps me, I'm 53 and I just learned this three years ago. So I hope all you beautiful people learn it much sooner, <laughs> but I'm actually now finally comfortable with anger for so long. I just thought anger was like robbing banks. Like you're not supposed to <laughs> engage in any angry behavior. And, um, of course that led to years of sublimated rage and binge, <laughs> you know, Binge-watching Vanderbump Pearls over 12 dozen, you know, cupcakes. Um, <laughs> but I'm now much better at um, using anger, and that's because, you know, it's interesting. I've been in the business since I was 21. I've never been in any, any other business. In my 20s, uh, traveling with winery owners, males, I had men show up at my hotel room at 2 or 3 in the morning in their underwear. Um, didn't get mad. I would just shut the door and never talk to it, to anybody about it. Um, you know, I had a lot of sexual harassment, as I'm sure many of you have experienced, um, at the hands of men and women. I'm gay, and I had um, female bosses who are married make advances, which is quite shattering as well. And um, again, didn't express any anger, and I would just throw up my hands and say, gosh, people suck and life sucks. <laughs> And then finally, a couple of years ago, I published this little zine called Lone Baby, and um, it was almost sold to another publication, and the, the sale kind of went sideways and became litigious. And I was put in the position of either folding up and walking away or spending a shit ton of money to fight to get that back. And I fought and got it back. And uh, 
And um, now I use anger kind of as a tool in my tool belt. If I go into a negotiation, I don't anticipate that it's going to go into anger. But um, a recent negotiation, uh, they sort of try to talk me down to my price. And I kind of, it's not really anger, but I directed it towards being very strong and very affirmative. My voice is shaking now because I'm nervous. But, um, you know, I confront. I confront. Um, <laughs> and so I just encourage you uh, young women out there, all women, um, to not be ashamed of being angry or even filled with rage. I love this younger generation, all these marches, all of you speaking up for yourselves. I think it's splendid. Uh, I love all of you. I support all of you. And I just hope that you own your anger um, and fight for justice. And I really have so much faith in all of you guys. I'd love to segue to Nadia. Uh, she's had a similar uh, sort of experience in channeling anger uh, that you can maybe tell us about. Hi, everyone. Um, yeah, so many things ring true for me as well. Um, I was, I worked my way up through my previous company, which was an import and distribution company um, that had been around in California for 15 years, 16 years. And um, I came on board as just a salesperson, the first ever salesperson to work for this very, very small company. Um, and worked my way up to become co-owner uh, and equal partner, 50-50 partner, with one of the original founders of this company. Um, and spent eight years working as the managing partner, um, the only partner that was present um, in the US, um, uh, and managing all of um, and overseeing everything on the state side. Um, and a year ago, a year and a half ago, I was suddenly uh, at risk of losing this company and losing all the work that I had done for eight years. Um, and it was a very pivotal moment. And like RH, um, there really was a moment where a lot of anger, a lot of um, self-denial, things I'd been denying for myself and for others who were being directly affected by um, the actions of my former business partner, somebody needed to take a stand and somebody needed to speak up in order to allow this, this good work, which really was extremely good work, continue. Um, briefly, my former business partner is uh, a man who is about 20 years older than me. We had both been working in the industry for about, um, we had both started with a year apart of each other. I'd started in 2001 and he'd started in 2000. So we actually had um, a fair amount. Uh, we'd been working in the industry for the same period of time. And while um, in the eight years that I was working um, for my previous company, Every single year since I came on board, I had managed to grow sales by 20%. Every yeah. single year. Yeah. I and the people I had hired to help me with the sales, I should say. And um, so a year and a half ago, just a little bit, um, just after we had concluded our most successful year of business in the, uh, since the establishment of our former company. And all of a sudden, there was this pivotal moment where uh, this was threatening to be taken away and complete the he wanted to kill the company. And I had to make a decision. And the turning point for me was seeing 
how it wasn't about just me. As long as it was just me, I could take a fair amount of um, uh, uh, mistreatment. And I would negotiate and work my way, and I would win things. But they were small battles. And the problem is the structure was still faulty. And what really needed to happen is we needed an end solution, and the structure needed to change. And so, um, you know, we think about, I think so often as human beings, our strengths are our weaknesses, and our weaknesses are our strengths. Um, often as women, um, we're perceived as maybe caring too much for others and putting others ahead of ourselves. And in, in this particular case, I had, it was when I realized that everyone working for this company or being represented by this company was being harmed in the situation that somebody needed to step up and speak out for them. And that was the turning point for me that gave me the confidence to break out of that and establish a new paradigm, essentially, and establish a new company um, with a different moral code going forward. Amazing. Really amazing. So in our pre-discussions, we talked a lot about how do you build confidence. And so I'd like to invite Suzanne to speak a little bit about some of her learnings and some tactics that she's been thinking through in her own life and work. Sure. So um, good afternoon, everybody. I'm so happy to be here. Uh, so I'm the banker, so I'm the sequential tactical person. So I, I like, I want to share a little story, but I, I feel like it's my job to give some tactical things that people can use. So when I reflected on being a part of this panel, I thought about, you know, what is helpful when you're advocating for yourself or you're in the midst of a negotiation. And I really think that approaching the situation with confidence is a huge piece of that. Um, so I thought I'd share kind of my personal journey to how I got to a point where I became more confident in hopes that maybe it can help you. Uh, so I found in the past that I would often get overwhelmed with trying to handle my demanding job, um, you know, people that report to me, a couple of kids, husband, you know, it's, it was a lot and it was overwhelming. So I decided I'm going to observe people that seem to have these, the same demanding lifestyle, but they handle it with ease. You know, what do they do? What, what characteristics do they have? And so I, I started just noticing people, some of them men, some of them women, and I realized that I saw these qualities and these traits that we would typically be described as masculine traits, like being direct or being assertive or being matter of fact. Um, but others that were equally as important that we are sometimes characterized as more feminine are empathy and listening and showing genuine care. And so one day I had this epiphany and I decided, I'm not going to look at these traits anymore as masculine or feminine. They're just traits that are effective. And they're things that, that I could do, that I could use, um, and, and make me more effective and make me more confident. So what happened was I freed myself from this guilt or discomfort that I had with taking charge or being assertive or being direct, but still made sure that I maintained the, the other qualities that are considered more, quote, feminine, you know, um, you know, being empathetic and listening. And all of this alleviated stress within me, and it, it alleviated that kind of internal conflict as, oh, I don't think I should be able to act, act this way. Uh, but what it helped is it just built confidence in me, and it allowed me to feel genuine in my actions, too. I wasn't acting as I thought I should fall into some type of a bucket. I was just acting in a way that was effective, and it gave me so much confidence to, to be matter-of-fact and to be direct and not feel guilty for it. So 
And I reflected back on this kind of mind shift that I had, and I realized that a big part of it also was it was in recognizing my worth. I think sometimes as women, we tend to feel like we have to over-deliver. Um, I think you know, RH said that we have to over-deliver. We have to be perfectionists. Everything has to be just right. And then I realized, no, I, I do a good job, and I should feel confident about that. And that's also very liberating, just feeling comfortable in our skin and that we are doing enough. And so I'm sure all of you, you know, have your own path to find what's effective to you in, in building confidence. Um, but I also wanted to share some tactical things because I can't help myself because I'm, <laughs> I'm a structured person. So I'll rattle off a few things. Um, so first is to be prepared. I think this plays to our strengths in that typically we are detail-oriented as women. Mm -hmm. And coming to a situation fully prepared absolutely builds confidence. Uh, and then this plays off a little bit of what Nadia said, um, but strengths and weaknesses. I think um, one of my former managers said to me, he said, our, our greatest strengths are also our greatest weaknesses. So for me, I've mentioned detail orientation. Being detail oriented is good until I take it to the point where I'm in analysis paralysis and I can't come to a conclusion, right? So I think we all need to be really honest with ourselves and ass assess our strengths and weaknesses. Focus on those strengths and be proud of those and go into your negotiation with those in the back of your mind saying, yes, I'm good at this, but also assess our weaknesses and make sure that we come to a point of competence with those. We don't have to master them, but to a point where we're comfortable with what we don't know and then bring in people that can help, whether it's a coworker, a friend, you know, some you know, way to build our skill set, learn, um, and have a fair assessment of those. Um, and then another thing that's been really powerful for me is, is to ask a, ask a trusted friend or a coworker what their perception of you is. I had this happen to me unsolicited recently, which was a little off-putting, but, <laughs> but it, was, it was really helpful. So there was a relatively uh, new coworker um, and, and shared some unsolicited advice um, of how I was perceived. And it wasn't my own perception of what I thought my personal brand was. And it's really helpful sometimes to get that perspective from someone else because it can open our eyes sometimes. Oh, I, I didn't know I was perceived that way. I need to change my behavior. I need to make a change. So that's extremely powerful. And it's uncomfortable, but I think it's worth it. So I would recommend that. And then last thing, um, don't forget the basics posture and deep breaths, it sounds really simple, but those things that we can do physically translate to, you know, clear thinking and help um, us in these challenging situations. So we all felt very strongly that it wasn't just about advocating for ourselves in our discussions. Um, and so I wanted to invite uh, for some final thoughts, our panelists to, to share kind of their, their own kind of lessons and how to move forward, because today, after all, is about progress as much as reflection. So, um, Megan? Sure, yeah. Um, so, um, as a co-owner with my husband, um, I really struggled, actually, to get recognition that I was a winemaker. Um, at events, um, when Ryan and I were standing behind a table pouring, Everybody wanted to speak to Ryan, the winemaker, and um, everyone assumed that I was the salesperson, you know, that I, of course, could not make wine, right? Look at me. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I was incredibly hurt by this. This was um, very hurtful early on. Um, I had dreamed of being a winemaker since I was a teenager. I had gone um, to college for my enology degree. I'd worked my butt off, helped create a, my own brand with my husband. And I had done everything right, um, but I was not recognized as a winemaker. Um, so in order to change this, um, I really started to be loud and vocal that I was also a winemaker. I demanded it. Um, <laughs> I sat on winemaker panels. I answered um, interview requests um, to the media and actively worked for that status, um, something that Ryan, with the same amount of experience, was just readily given. Um, in 2016, uh, after being asked for really about the thousandth time who really made the wine, um, I created uh, an Instagram handle called Ladies in Wine. And this gives a visual platform for women in our industry. Thank you. <laughs> As we heard earlier, images are so important, and I, I really hope um, that it will inspire other women to join our profession and give those already in it um, the strength to ask um, to do the tasks that they may not be readily given. Um, and again, um, you know, I encourage uh, all women who are entering uh, winemaking to really insist on, on doing everything. Um, and. I really um, want to encourage anybody who is a female in our industry to actively mentor and advocate for more women to come in here. We um, have an appalling gender gap in winemaking. It's 10% of female winemakers, are winemakers. Um, sorry, 10% of winemakers are females. I mean, that's, that's just not enough. Um, I'm seeing uh, more female interns come in, um, but we have to help them rise. And 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 move forward in our business. Thank you. Thank you. All right. Oh, um, one thing that I've uh, really enjoyed at this time in my life is mentoring young younger people, uh, men and women. And I'm really finding that I learn in that process. Um, I, learn, I learn from them, but also hearing myself talk about um, the pitfalls and pratfalls of being a woman in the business. Um, that's, those are things that I can share uh, with them. And um, you know, I, we I talked earlier about anger, um, and I think it's it's equally important to be empathetic for both genders to be empathetic. And so I didn't want to under didn't want to forget to mention that as well. Um, self promotion's been that that term's been tossed around a couple times today, and um, I'm really bad at self promoting. It doesn't come naturally to me, and I I don't know that that'll ever change. I've tried really hard to make it change, but I don't know how to do that. And I'm sure there's some of you out there that feel that same way. We have dreams and places you want to get, but you're not quite sure how to ask for it or self promote. So um, one way that I've you know that I've sort of tried to encourage younger people who want to be able to be to, to self promote a little bit better is just to do it in very genuine ways. It doesn't have to be frequent and it doesn't have to be aggressive. It just has to be genuine and um, you're sort of representing yourself. And speak up for what you'd like. Speak up for what opportunities that you want. I think that's extremely important. So I'm, I'm just feeling very grateful for all these young people uh, coming up in the business today um, that I'm able to communicate these hopefully helpful ideas to. And I'd love to invite Nadia to share a couple final thoughts. Um, so we've had a series of um, really productive discussions leading up to this, leading up to today. And um, uh, three things really came to mind. Um, 
for me in this past year and a half of, of negotiations. Um, uh, number one, negotiating and advocating for yourself and others is a continual process. It's not about winning one specific battle. It's something that each and every one of us is continually going to be faced with injustice towards ourselves, towards others, whether they look like us or not, or from the same socioeconomic background or not, race, gender. We're continually confronted with it. We constantly need to stand up and react to it. Um, that's one. And it's also a continual work and process within yourselves, each of us within ourselves, to challenge ourselves to go a little further. Two. Um, <laughs> Uh, another one is that it's not a selfish act. Negotiating and advocating for yourselves and others is not a selfish act. It's never just about yourselves. If you're being mistreated, chances are other people are also being mistreated, whether it's the same boss, the same manager, the same uh, system. Um, and therefore, it's all of our responsibilities to stand up, not just for ourselves or for but for, ev for everyone else. Mm -hmm. um, in my case, I had to listen to what, was, what the other people in my previous company wanted. What did the growers want? What did the salespeople want? It aligned with what I wanted, and therefore we were able to make it happen and uh, successfully. A company is not about one person, it's about everyone together, but it takes one person to stand up and make the first move. And that's the third thing is, um, you need to be the one to take the first step. Take the first step, make a decisive action, the help and support you need will follow. You don't need to have all the answers all at once. That's Speak right. up, make the decision within yourself, tell it to those who are directly involved who can help you, they will come out of the woodwork and the answers will come. That was certainly my experience. Um, but you need to be the one to take that first brave, bold step. Thank you all. We actually made up a little bit of time, so we probably have time for one or two questions. Oh, let me, can you repeat the question so anyone that didn't hear it? Um, um, so she would like to know what my husband did to help um, advocate for me, essentially. Um, so I, I have the best husband in the world. <laughs> He's um, incredibly supportive. And he, um, he really even took a step back to let me be loud and let me be vocal. And he's the first one to say I, that I am a winemaker as well. And um, we need that support. Um, we need that support not only from uh, our family and our friends around us, but from men and women in our industry. Um, and you know, that's, the, that's truly the only way that we're, we're gonna change. We can't do it just all as women. We need, we need our, uh, the men in our lives to also support us. Um, so, that, yeah, that's that's really Ryan's just been incredibly um, supportive in that and taking even in, in a lot of uh, a lot of moments just a step back to let me really say, look, I am also a winemaker. Yeah. <laughs> Here's to Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> yes, please. It's a multifaceted question. I'll I'll take a stab at a piece of it, and then maybe other people want to 
to um, chime in. But I'll take a stab at, you know, you said things about, what, you know, what you do in a, how you enter a negotiation and you think you're prepared and you're confident, but then it ends up differently. Um, so there's all sorts of outcomes, um, obviously, that can come from a negotiation. You get what you want or you don't, and several variations of compromise in the middle. I think one of the most powerful things to do uh, is, at the outset, know what your indifference point is. Know what your walkaway point is to where you say, this is not worth it. You know, this is, I'm, I'm, I'm done, I'm, I'm out. And if you know what that end point is, where you're not going to negotiate any further, it's over, that gives you a point of reference to know kind of what steps are in between. So that's one of the things that I use. I mean, I in my job, I have the luxury of having to negotiate with private equity firms and billionaires, which is extremely challenging. So you have to know that indifference point from the start. Um, and then I think where, where women have an advantage is I think we're, we're great at looking for compromise. And it's not necessarily a win or lose. There is compromise in between. And having uh, that attitude is helpful as well. So I don't know if other people want to pile on with other, other parts of her wonderful question. <laughs> Um, I think I agree, um, Martha. If you, if you, you, everyone should know what they're worth and what they want from from the situation. Um, I think if you go into negotiation with a lot of confidence and say, "This is what I'm worth. This is what I am going to give for you in return," um, uh, that it's it's surprising that people. Are, I, you know, for me, it was surprising. This, like, if um, they they do, they agree to it. Um, but you have to be confident and know exactly what you want um, and don't waver. Um, st stake your ground um, and, and be able to walk away if, if you're not getting what you believe you are worth. And I do think one of the things we, we talked about um, in our pre-discussion is that it, it didn't quite fit with um, the flow was transparency in wages. Um, talking about it amongst ourselves, knowing what other people make, asking the questions. Um, money shouldn't be a shameful conversation. Um, you know, I, I, I've personally gone through a lot of those negotiations myself. I know I'm not the panelist, but uh, it was something that we did touch on in our, in our pre-discussions is part of advocating is, is being transparent. Um, please, yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry? No, just talk loud. Yeah. Can I pause you? I'm going to give you a microphone real quick. <laughs> Not everyone can hear you. Like you can't see my purple hair. Um, okay, so go to your State Department of Labor and look up the wages for whatever job that you're looking for, okay? It's going to be under the State Department. You want to look up what the state has the wage listed. Right now, they should have 2017, all four quarters. Wages are reported every quarter, so, you know, every three months. They just reported wages for June, right? So you go look up your state wages. You can look up a county, local level. There should be at least a number, okay? You take that number, then you go and you ask some questions. Um, they have some, some Facebook groups are cool. 
You know, you can say, hey, how much is the average for whatever the job is? You know, what's the average wages? Hopefully you have some guys in there and they'll tell you some truths or just ask some people. You know, I know people are afraid to talk about money, but money and FICO score numbers and um, anything that has to do with your personal, those numbers, those are not numbers that reflect who you are. I'll tell you my FICO score in a hot second, right? Because I know in, if it's low or high, it can get up. There are ways, there are algorithm ways that you can use that money, use those, that information. Because maybe you don't even know how much you should be asking for. And some people just don't know where to start, right? So you can just start there, get the information. And then, like she said, don't waver. Go in there and know what you're going to do and what you're going to say. And then if you find out how much somebody makes, look, drop that number. <laughs> if you know how much the guys make, drop the number. It's OK. Empower the number. The number is not you. The number either gets you what you need or the number can be increased, even if your number is low, FICO score-wise and financially. Just ask questions. I think that's a great place to end it. Um, thank you so much to all of our panelists and to all of you for listening and taking a part.